Uh, good evening, everybody. Glad to see you. I'd like to invite you to grab a Bible if you have one, or if you don't, there's one in the seat back in front of you, or it'll be on the screen and you can just cheat. That's okay. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. Acts is in the New Testament, the second half of the story here in our Bibles. And we've been in this story that's a really revolutionary story of how God brought two different people, Peter and Cornelius, from two totally different people groups. That would be the Jewish folks who are God's holy folks and the Gentiles, Cornelius, which would be all the rest of the folks, how God brought these two totally different people from two totally different people groups into one kingdom family. That's where we've been in this series in the month of May called Spirit Sent because the Holy Spirit of God is at work in those beyond our walls. And so one of the ways that we've been living into that, as we've alluded to earlier in Pastor Kathy's beautiful prayer, praying for our neighbors and for Toby and her announcement, one of the couple ways we've been doing that is just trying to live up to our name, to be present, because we believe that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in all places, in all peoples in the world, and so we're as a church not invited to go and drum up some stuff to do. But we're invited to partner with this Holy Spirit who's on the move and on mission. And so in our way, in our little corner of the world, we're living into this neighborhood clothes closet, which I wasn't at this uh, morning. I was here walking a few streets in the neighborhood. And uh, Bud tells me that there are 23 families that were serviced by the clothes closet today. And yeah, okay, sure. And what's cool is this will be our third distribution day. We do it once a month. And the first week, we just kind of use the existing relationships we already had through the Rock Community Center. We talked to the students that we'd see after school. We would give some flyers at the food pantry that Freeman Heights and First Methodist Garland helped do. And we just kind of had a soft opening. And we had eight folks who just by word of mouth and kind of knowing us showed up. And then the next month, there's about 12. And then now we've doubled that just by word of mouth and being a faithful presence in our neighborhood, trying to live into our name. And it's not just about the numbers. Yeah, it's cool to clap that we have 23 people. What it is is contacts of people that aren't here right now. And they may not ever be here right now, but we believe that if the Spirit of God is at work in all peoples and all places, then we can join Him in that space and satisfy or meet some physical need and then offer them the opportunity for a relationship when we pray with them. We had three groups go out just to introduce ourselves as good neighbors and they were praying with people in our neighborhood. I'm saying all this not to say, oh yay, look at us because we need stuff to do because we're a church, right? No, I'm just trying to keep us awake to the fact that the Holy Spirit is on the move so would we be on the move beyond these seats in the streets to live into our name as the neighborhood church. And I think that we will be aware of how well we're doing the more our community in here reflects the community out there because what the Holy Spirit loves to do is bring people who have no business being together under the name of Jesus. 
And I believe that we will be a more faithful kingdom presence to our world when we reflect the world that is as multi-ethnic and diverse as you can imagine, especially right here in Garland, Texas. And I think we lose sight and we lose credibility to say the kingdom of God is for all peoples and Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all peoples, even those people. When we are gathering and trying to be homogenous and think homogenous and sing homogenous and speak homogenous and eat homogenous. The Holy Spirit is all about breaking barriers. And the reason we're in Acts chapter 10 is so that we wouldn't be tempted to pick up the rubble of the walls he's broken down and break them and make them up again ourselves because we like church to be like this. And we like our friends to look like this. The Holy Spirit is uniting and bringing together outsiders in, and that's what we're going to see in this amazing revolutionary story in Acts chapter 10 tonight. I want you to think with me and do a little thought experiment. I want you to think right now of your life in terms of a timeline. How many of you like read a history book and you're going back to your old school textbook days and you've seen a significant person or a significant nation and they put the timeline, right? So think of your life as a timeline from birth to right now. Hopefully it's not the end of your timeline right now, you know. But imagine your life as a timeline and if you think about those textbooks, you see those hash marks there. What are the hash marks representing? Like significant. I heard the word significant. They're significant moments, right? It's not the sum total of a life, but it's the markers that kind of give life its shape and its meaning and its movement. So I want you to think of your life as a timeline, and I want you to kind of imagine one of those hash marks of a significant moment in your life. And I wonder, and I want you to really think about one, And I wonder how many of you in this room, for you, the moment you're thinking of on your timeline is a moment that was a quick and rapid move from one place of life and one season of life and you go to bed at night and one thing is this way, but then when you wake up the next day, all of a sudden you've crossed a barrier into new territory and a new reality. Here's what I mean by that. For some of you, how many of your hash marks if you're married was like the day you got married, right? Yes. So you go to to bed, Michelle, what's your maiden name? Why did it take you that long to think of it? (laughs) Because y'all have been married for (laughs) a few years, I guess. But then she wakes up and she walks through and now she's Michelle Stone. How many of you, it was like a new job, a new career, right? You wake up and this is a new season and I'm in this new job and and this is a new thing. It's a significant moment for you. Anyone? For some of us, it may be like the first day of college, like, hey, I'm grown. I don't have to go to class if I don't want to. I can go and do this and whatever. How many of you is a move? You get what I'm saying. How many of your significant moments are things are hunky-dory, things are this way, and then all of a sudden you step through this barrier, you step through into this new season, and all of a sudden this new reality has opened up for you? I think of a man named Phil, who if you had asked him, he would have said that on his timeline, most of his significant moments had already been passed. 
Phil, I knew from the church that I had come from before here, I was a young adult pastor. He was not a young adult. He was a man who was nearing retirement, but he worked with our 20s group, and he was saying all kinds of things like, you know, I've, I've kind of been there, done that. He was staring down retirement, and he was kind of searching for kind of the next steps or ways of service. But one thing that wasn't on his radar was something that came when we were invited, and I invited a group to go downtown to serve with the homeless ministry that we still have a significant relationship with called Our Calling. So six years ago, we go on a Saturday, and Phil comes um, kind of begrudgingly. He came because a lot of the 20s he was working with were coming, and it was a thing to do, and it was something new and different, but he really just didn't have anything on his radar that this would be just a normal day. He wasn't really expecting a significant moment in his timeline. And so he goes, and he was frankly a little nervous, as many of us might be, if we haven't interacted with many homeless people. Spoiler alert, they're people. But if we're honest, we can kind of manifest or drum up the sense of, what are we going to talk about, you know? But he was a little bit nervous. It's natural and sometimes. But, you know, he's going, and we're giving out snow cones. We're playing uh, beanbag toss. Yeah, they're getting some clothes, but mainly we're just playing dominoes and trying to live into these barriers that the Holy Spirit wants to break down. And this was six years ago on a Saturday. And if you had asked Phil, was that a significant moment that night he went to bed, he probably would have told you no. Little do I know... Fast forward to a month ago, Amy and I go to Our Calling, this homeless ministry that we went to the block party with. They had moved from a little cafe to just this year, a facility that is 10 times larger than that little cafe that they started in. So my wife Amy is on the board of Our Calling, so she was there for this little open house meet and greet. She was stationed in one corner to like kind of ask questions and do this, and so we were there kind of looking around at the new space that many of you have been to. Jason and Becky were there that night. Aaron Sarkis helps lead a Bible study there. So we were just kind of business as usual, right? Well, then I look up and I see Phil and his wife walk in. And this was an event for some volunteers and other people. I said, whoa, I haven't seen you in forever. How are you doing? And we're talking about life and what's been going on the last several years. And he tells me, you know, you might never believe this, but you remember when we went to that thing that one Saturday that I didn't want to do? And I was like, yes, I do remember that one thing we did that one time. And he says, so here's what I've been up to and here's why I'm here. I actually, that Tuesday morning, just had this impulse to go and I've been there every Tuesday morning for the last five years, six years. And so he went from having no radar, no idea, to sharing a table with these homeless folks every single Tuesday morning. He plays dominoes with these men. He talks about life with these men like they're men. He talks to the women of our calling and he treats them with dignity and respect like they're women. And so this was something that if you had asked him six years ago, you'd say, was that a significant thing? He says, no, I just did it. It was something new on a Saturday. But what happened was there was this impulse, this invitation that says perhaps there's something you need to lean into. There's something you need to live into. And perhaps it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. But what you're going to see is there's life on the other end. Because he walked through that door and showed up on a Tuesday, he was experiencing a life in this season of his life that he thought was going to have no more significant moments. 
And all of a sudden, you can notch another time on his timeline, but because he was open to that, he's meeting with these men and women every Tuesday morning, and he's notching significant moments in their timeline because for the first time, they might be heard. For the first time, they might be valuable. And for those of you who think something like homeless ministry is big and grand and awesome, let me tell you, it could be the most mundane thing in the world because all it is is being open to talking to someone who's different from you. And this is why I've told this five-minute story, and this is why we've been marching through this long chapter in the book of Acts, because it was revolutionary and important, even though it revolutionized the world by something as simple as Peter walking through the door of a man's house he would have never walked into. We have Peter, we have Cornelius. Peter, who is a Jewish apostle of Jesus, who walks into the home of a Roman military officer from the empire that killed him. We have Peter who walked into Cornelius' house that we'll see tonight who would have never set foot in there for fear of arrest or fear of being unclean in the Jewish religion. But Peter revolutionized the church by walking through a doorway because he was willing to fellowship with people who were different from him that he would have said two days ago, I had nothing in common with. But this is the Holy Spirit's movement. And it took the first generation of the church to sort out what happened because he walked through a door of a Gentile's house. Because for centuries, Jewish folks didn't intermingle with Gentile folks and they couldn't share a meal together. Right now, we take going to Starbucks for granted with somebody. If you were a Jewish person now and then, you were very squeamish about where you went to go eat. Because if you walked into a house that served you food that was unclean, you risk becoming unclean yourself, and then you've got a God problem. It ain't just a people problem because you can't meet with them. You've got a God problem because now you're unclean, and you can't worship Him. And your whole life is about trying to be in right relationship with God. So you can see Peter's dilemma, but Peter walks through a doorway into Cornelius' house, and we see that in Acts chapter 10, verses 23 and following. We're actually not going to go all the way through verse 43 tonight. We'll pick that up halfway through the story for next week. Are you with me in Acts chapter 10, verse 23? I know I kind of built a long front porch but I think it's important that we continually put ourselves into the revolutionary character of this party. So, picking it up in verse 23. Then Peter invited these men who were sent by Cornelius into the house to be his guests. That's baby step awesome thing number one. And it says, the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. That's where Cornelius is. So Cornelius was expecting them and had called together all his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. So here's what's going on that I want you to see. Day one, what we saw at the beginning of this chapter is this guy named Cornelius has a vision and an angel says, send people to go get Peter. So because they're 30 miles away from Caesarea to Joppa, down the Mediterranean coast, it takes them about a day and a half. And then day two, Peter goes up to pray like any other day at noon while he's waiting on lunch. And then you remember what happens? 
he gets a vision. And the vision, do y'all remember what it was? It was like this enormous picnic blanket had been let down. And y'all remember what's on the picnic blanket? Food, animals, all the wrong things that he had never eaten in his life. And that's when he tries to out-holy the holy God and says, I've never eaten this stuff, God. But God says, get up, dude, supper's on. And he says, I can't eat this stuff. But then the Spirit of God says, no, it's all clean now. It's all fair game. And then right as he's having this vision and he's walking downstairs, scratching his head, saying, what was all that about? The Holy Spirit says, hey, there's three guys here and I've sent them and you need to go with them. And know that Peter would not have set out on this journey had he not had this vision and had the Holy Spirit say, go with them, show no prejudice. Because that's what the text says, literally. So then he goes with them. They, they spend half a day walking. They spend a night somewhere. Uh, or excuse me, that day, Peter takes the baby step of saying, well, come on in. Y'all have walked a long way. Stay the night here. And then the next day, day three, they set out back to Caesarea, and he grabs some believers with him, and they go out back to Cornelius' house. So day four, that's where we are in this part of the story. They arrive together at Cornelius' house. So, every week we've been talking about what is your next step in relationship with God and others. And for Peter, I want you to see what we just read in verse 23. Peter invited these Gentile men into the house to be his guest. That's Peter's baby step number one, okay? This is Peter saying, y'all, I know I would never eat with you at your place, but why don't you come and be my guest? So Peter's baby step is Gentiles come and be my guests. If we're going back to the story with my man Phil, it would be like, hey, I'll go one Saturday and see how it goes. You with me? So then we see that he enters into the house. Did you see that in verse 25? Then he takes a big step and he does something he probably hasn't done his entire adult life. And that is rather than have Gentiles as his guests, he's going to go be a guest of a Gentile. This is a significant move. And none of this would have happened if the Holy Spirit hadn't said, get out of your religion, it's become obsolete in Jesus, and get out on mission to these people that I'm trying to rescue. And so this is a big step after a baby step, but we have to understand that it's still a step. And here's the thing, it's still growth in your life in the Spirit, whether you're taking a baby step toward an other or a different, or a big step toward an other or a different. Can I tell you that most of my conversations with folks inside and outside of the church have to do with this. I fear I'm not doing it right with my life with God because I'm not taking any monumental leaps. Because I'm not a missionary in X, Y, or Z. Because I'm not serving the homeless. Because I'm not radically, sacrificially giving. Because I'm not going fill in the blank. Because I'm not praying this way. Because I'm not saying this way. Because I'm not reading this way. Fill in the blank with any monumental leap. When the question we need to be asking ourselves is, what is today, this moment, the next step God's inviting us into? Think about the toddler that's walking this is a common illustration I've heard several preachers use, but it's really formative. If you have a one-year-old child on the floor right here, 
and he takes three steps, what do every single one of you in this room do? Oh, look at that. Good job. Yes? Or do you do this? What an idiot. This dude can only take three steps, then he falls down. I mean, I know his head is huge and he's kind of wobbly, but man, he looks like olive oil or something, shaking his legs. He's this scrub. What is the problem here? You don't do that to a one-year-old. You celebrate each step. And I think one of the problems in our life with God is we only think the big steps are worth noticing when we need to celebrate the little steps. We need to celebrate every day that you show up and try to push yourself into believing and knowing that God is with you. We need to celebrate the moment when you pray in your car and make the normal somehow supernatural because you realize that God is in your midst. The entire exercise of the Christian life is actually believing that God with us is with us. The first step is just trying to be aware. We don't mock toddlers. We need to celebrate each step you show up. We need to celebrate each time you turn the other cheek when you should think you should have that person just hear it and let it out. Whether it's face-to-face or whether it's in Facebook. We need to celebrate each step and we need to see the correlation that every step we take toward God is a step toward others because ours is an other-centered faith. And the closer you get to God, the closer he'll begin to say, hey, I've empowered you to live this life that Jesus lived. You have within you everything it takes to be a person of peace in this difficult relationship. If you would stay connected to me, Well, how do you begin to believe it? You take little steps day by day. It starts by maybe holding your tongue and then it begins to praying for those who persecute you and then all of a sudden you can find yourself loving your enemies even if it takes months. But we need to celebrate each step along the way. We want to take giant leaps but we need to practice and celebrate each baby step. So then we see Peter taking this revolutionary step and journey into this Gentile home, and then we have a super awkward cultural collision. Did you read that there? Did y'all see what happens after Peter enters the house, which was a monumental step that just kind of gets swept under the rug because of how awkward the next thing happens? Gentiles often would lay down on the ground when they need a favor for someone or when they think that this is a holy man. And I don't know, put yourself in Cornelius' shoes. If an angel told you to go get me or you and you walk into my house and an angel had just known you by name, I would probably say, uh, please don't kill me or eat me. So there's a little bit of this going on. There's a little bit of a cultural collision. And I think that this is important to say too. Sometimes when you take a step toward others in relationship, it's going to get messy and awkward. I think we think that just like what would happen is when we go out and knock on doors, like people won't get freaked out when people knock on doors. You know what we said in the parking lot when we're praying? We said, Lord, help us to remember what you said, that we should love our neighbors as ourselves and remember what it's like when somebody knocks on my door at Saturday morning. We have to be mindful that it doesn't mean that everything will automatically go well, but then that's great because it pushes you closer into God to trust Him and to love Him and all those things we just sang about. 
So we have this cultural collision, and Peter says, hey man, I'm just a man, don't worry about this, and then he steps into this room, look with me in verse 27, Peter went inside and he found a huge gathering of people. Peter had probably never seen as many Gentiles sitting under one roof in the same room that he's been in and there's this sense of expectancy and I think there's something powerful to note here too is that Cornelius didn't just bow to see Peter he thought that God had something to say so he went and got all the people he thought would benefit from hearing it you know who he got his close friends and his family members and as I've been living in Acts chapter 10 and this has kind of been my chapter for the better part of this year that I've just been really coming back to and thinking and meditating on. My wife and I have thought routinely about how many close friends and family members would probably be dying to hear the good news that God loves them more than they could ever ask or imagine would they just turn to him. People in my life, people that I have a voice to that's unlike other people's voices. And I just thought, if I were Cornelius, who would I bring into the room? And I think that there's a moment there, there's a place there where we need to step back and say, you know, who is it, God, that you've entrusted me in my sphere and circle of influence? Who's in my neighborhood of family, geography, work, you name it? where I don't need to maybe go and do the giant leap of preaching at him in the cubicle, but who do I need to love today like you would love? This is what I mean, taking and celebrating the baby steps. So he enters into this room, there's a million people there, and then watch Peter's opening line. <laughs> would you use this opening line? You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with you stanky Gentiles. Is that what your Bible says? Now here's what's interesting is it's really not a law per se, but what he's saying here is you know that I could get in big trouble with my friends and family if they knew I was rubbing elbows with you. You know that this is an enormous taboo and this is some kind of indiscretion, but look what he says after this. I love the word but in Scripture. And it says this, God has shown me. So who showed him? It wasn't the motivational speaker. It wasn't an issue of tolerance. It wasn't this cultural pressure to be a little nicer to different people. God is the one that's breaking down these social and ethnic barriers. And here's the problem. We mess up so much when our churches are gathered around and think that God is up to this and that, that God doesn't value diversity. In the kingdom of God, when you see Revelation, you see every tribe and tongue gathering together around the throne. God wants us to celebrate our diversity, but do so under the one banner, the one family of Jesus. God showed me that I should not call, what does it say? Anyone impure or unclean. Now remember the picnic? Go back and look right there in your Bible. It's not on the screen. Look what the voice actually said in Peter's vision in verse 15. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Did you miss that? Anything. The, what was the voice talking about in Peter's vision? It was all that food and the animals, right? 
don't call any of this food impure and unclean. God's made it clean. But when Peter had a day and a half to sort and wrestle through this, you know what he's gathering and getting from the Holy Spirit? It ain't just about the food. God showed me I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. Because if God removed the barrier of the food, then all of a sudden I'm allowed to share the table with anyone. Are you with me? Amy and I were vegans for a year and a half, and I've never felt better or looked better, but I've never probably tasted worse food. (laughs) And this was hard for us as extroverts because we like to go and eat with people. And so what would happen is my family, God bless them, would still have every family function as either grilling steaks at somebody's house or going out to barbecue. So what would happen is because Amy and I are vegan, we couldn't go to the barbecue joints because if you know Texas barbecue, even their vegetables got dairy and bacon and crap in it. I'm sorry, I just said crap in a sermon. Please forgive me. But that's how I felt because I couldn't eat any of this. And so we almost didn't want to go because we just had to sit there and watch them eat all this awesome stuff. But then what happened was we had a child and we realized that Taco Bell drive-thru was right there. (laughs) And so this is a true story. We went through one time because, man, our time, like we just ran out of time. And I said, "Um, uh, I'll take a a black bean burrito and no sour cream. Just add a little bit of cheese. (laughs) That was easy. Next day, I think I'll go back to Taco Bell. Um, I'll take eight beef, crunchy tacos, extra beef with sour cream and cheese. Like, I'm serious. It wasn't like day one to two, but that was a significant moment in my life where I did wake up to the new reality and brought meat back into my life. But all of a sudden, what did it do? It opened up the dinner reservations. It opened up the dinner invitations. And don't miss that Peter has seen the correlation. It's not just about the food. It's about that you can share the table with everyone. This is on the slide. Peter has figured out the Holy Spirit's intent right here of seeking Cornelius, of shaking Peter out of this boundary and then sending him into this home he would have never been in before. If there is no longer a boundary around food, there's no longer a boundary around my table, and now the kingdom dinner party is open to all regardless of the differences. I don't care what you're eating. I don't care what I'm eating. We can share it now, and don't miss that Jesus was always criticized for eating with sinners. Jesus was always getting people bent out of shape, especially if you read the Gospel of Luke. Every other page in Luke, it's Jesus eating with people he wouldn't eat with if he was a good Jew. Now, Jesus was a good Jew, but Jesus was also about more than just appeasing the Jewish taboos. Jesus was constantly criticized for eating with all the wrong kinds of people. And then watch this. When Jesus goes, the last night he spends with his disciples, you know what he gives them? Does he give them another handbook? Go and do this and do that, and here's a new law. You don't eat this and you don't do that. Does he give them a handbook? No. He gives them a meal. He gives them a meal. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. What do you remember? Yes, my death and resurrection that blew open the doors of the kingdom to all people. But guess what else you do in remembrance of me? Remember when I ate with all those gluttons and sinners and thieves and prostitutes? What does your table look like a generation after Jesus? 
What does our table look like two centuries after Jesus? When we do this in remembrance of him, do we come to the table remembering that these people were prostitutes and sinners and drunkards, but now they have a space at the table? Because here's our focus statement. Here's where I'm drilling down and as we near to the end. Here's our focus statement here. The doors of the kingdom are open to all people, and Jesus is the doorway through which every person enters. Peter had to walk through a doorway to get to that enemy person. But Cornelius had to walk through a doorway because he had been on the outside looking in and pressing his nose up to the glass and respecting God and revering God. But the Holy Spirit sent Peter to walk through the doorway so that Cornelius could walk through the doorway into life with Jesus. He had been a neighbor waving at him, but Jesus is inviting him to move in and become part of the family. So the question for us then is to whom is the Holy Spirit sending you? What doorways is he inviting you and prompting you to enter? Here's a doorway. What's that one relationship that you, that's just eating you alive? Could you submit in wisdom Holy Spirit, when is the right time and when is the right place and what are the right words? I love the 12 steps. I went through a 12 step and I love that before you get to the famous making of amends, the step says, we made amends whenever possible except when to do so would harm them. Because it sometimes ain't just about you and your impulse to go and make things right. You need to surrender that and submit that to the wisdom of the Spirit. But what doorway is He inviting you? What doorway in service and love and sacrifice and ministry in your life with God has He been inviting you that you can't shake? Let me tell you, you can't shake it until you step out of the kiddie pool and into the deep waters of the things that God has for you. Have you noticed yet that I'm saying the same thing every week? The Holy Spirit is inviting us to walk through the doors into a deep life and a deep water and the deep relationship and abundant life that Jesus has won for us. All peoples are invited, but the doorway, the gatekeeper is the same, and it's Jesus. So Peter steps through the doorway and he says, so why have you come? And then uh, we'll put this on the screen um, Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor, right? God has sought the seeker. But he says, send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, Peter, and it was good for you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Why? Because I feel like I've got to take a next step in my life with God. And Peter's got to show up and partner with the Spirit. And here's what's funny. We just read the very same thing you would have read a few verses before. And you imagine the first church hearing these words that Luke had recorded, the stories and events of the followers of Jesus going to the ends of the earth and to all those kinds of people. When they hear this story, it's as if Luke wants to reiterate it almost verbatim to say this. Yep, 
even a Roman military elite. Yep, you heard that right. The guy who is an officer in the empire that killed the Lord of all. Yep, you heard that right. The elite part of a battalion that could be responsible for rounding up and driving out unruly Christians. Yep, you heard that right. Cornelius, an elite with the whole household, with maybe some slaves and maybe all different kinds of people under him, when we got people showing up at our table that wouldn't have eaten today if they didn't come to the church. Yep, that elite guy there. Yep, Cornelius, yep. And it actually spills out into Acts chapter 11. Peter has to explain himself as to why he would walk through the doorway to this person. But he walked through, and don't miss what Cornelius says, because God was there when he walked through the doorway. He says, now we're all here in the presence of God to listen. I love what David Fitch says. David Fitch is an Anabaptist theologian, missiologist. He's in the Chicago area. He has a great new book called Faithful Presence. And he says this revolutionary radical thing. God is present over the whole world, yet he becomes visibly present through a people who make his presence known. Let me read that again. God is present over the whole world, yet he becomes visibly present through a people who make his presence known. Cornelius has this sense that all these Gentiles have gathered and that God is in this midst. God is in this place. But you know how they really see it manifested? In next week's chunk when Peter shows up because he walked through the door and he preaches the good news of peace that all people are invited. The doors of the kingdom are open and the doorways, Jesus, would you come in? Peter makes the unseen presence of God seen when he preaches and proclaims the reign of God and then the Holy Spirit comes at the end of Acts chapter 10 even to quote those people. So as we close, the invitation is to be a people present to God's presence. You hear me? Be present to God's presence. Cornelius said, we're all here in the presence of God. Where is the here? His dining room with his family that he ate in every night. But all of a sudden it becomes a place saturated with the presence of God as we go through the neighborhood, as we go through our office places, as we go in our car, would we be present to God's presence? And here are some ways I think we can do that as baby steps to celebrate. First, just be awake to it. Holy Spirit, you're here. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But I want to name it. Would you help me be awake to it? The first step is wake up to it. On our way here, no lie, Emma and Nora are in the car, and Nora said, did you get your teaching book? And I said, it's called a Bible. Sorry, pastor's kid. (laughs) This is called a Bible. (laughs) And then Emma says, yeah, it's got all the stories about Jesus that we tell people each week to remember that God is with us. And then Nora said, oh, yeah, I can't see him face. I can't see him body but him with us. And I said, baby, that's, that's what I'm supposed to go out here and try to say tonight. 
and I've been running around with y'all all day, and I needed something to say because I was working on this outline till 4.30. But baby, you got it. And she said this. Is he real? And I said, yes, baby, he is. But we've got to remind ourselves that he's real and he's with us. And then Emma says, yeah, but I feel like sometimes he's far away. I said, baby, do you think he's far away when he heals your little legs and your scratches and your eczema and your breathing when we pray? Well, he's close then. I said, is he close to us when he watches over us and keeps us safe at night every night? Well, yeah, I guess he's close. I said, the thing is, we got to stay, stay awake to how he's close to us even when we're driving in this car right now. The whole pursuit of the life with God, the Christian way of life is to stay awake to his presence. And then I think the second little baby step is just to pray it into existence. Holy Spirit, breath of God, would you move and renew me in this moment? Holy Spirit, breath of God, would you help me become aware of your presence? And then as we do that, I, begin, we, I think we begin to see the third step and the baby step is to live it in love and service. I believe the Holy Spirit will reveal to you doorways and relationships and tough places and uncomfortable places. But if you would trust Him and lean into it and live into it, you would see the kingdom of God that begins to spread, not like the expanse of the nuclear bomb, but the mustard seed. In slow, barely perceptible ways, but that we would stay awake to the Spirit of God in us. So may we stay awake to the Spirit, ask Him to reveal those doorways and to send us to those kinds of people and then to empower us to walk through them with Him. I'd like to just offer this prayer as we close that you may take a breath and pray with me. I'm going to repeat it several times. Holy Spirit, keep me awake. Send me out and give me strength. Holy Spirit, keep me awake, send me out, and give me strength. Amen. Now for our benediction, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go in peace.